0: Well, we're with Nick and Terry, and uh, good to have everyone along with us today. And we are coming at you from the AVB CTC in Phoenix, Arizona. We just wrapped up another good week of a train the trainer with folks from around the country coming to Phoenix to uh, learn the blue card system. And the exciting thing is in October, we're going to be out in Cincinnati where we bring back the Hazard Zone Conference so we can have these discussions with everybody. And you guys are going to be there talking leadership issues and uh, a lot of this information that you've unearthed from the man, AVB, and uh, continuing on distributing it because he had a lot of works that were in progress when he left us. But you guys are capturing that, putting any finishing touches on it, and we're going to be uh, talking about that going forward. So including in Cincinnati in October, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: So what are you guys working on?
1: AVB was, uh, one of the things he was most interested in was the management piece of a fire department. So he's most well known for his incident command stuff and, uh, command training center. Well, His biggest passion at the end of his career in life was he wanted a management training center where you could practice the uh, managing the day-to-day activities of a fire department, service delivery piece outside the hazard zone. So basically customer service stuff. You know, supervisory leadership around a a service-based mission. So that he developed no-brainer management, Boss behaviors, the A and P leadership, and a couple other programs in that. That he was out probably the last ten years of his life. That's what he was doing. He was going on the road and delivering that content with people. And when he died, there was an ocean of these boxes of all this content as he developed these programs. Well, one of the things we figured out is, well, we have work for. We've kind of had our mission slated from. I don't know, about the late 90s to today, and we haven't added anything. We, we, we have a job list that will keep us busy to the end of our lives. So part of that was the, the stuff he had for the management and leadership piece. So I, when we were organizing all this, I took all these boxes and figured out what was in them, and then I, I just put them out of the way. And then Terry ended up uh, retiring from the— his last gig in the Glendale fire department. And so he agreed to take all that and we're going to uh, smash it all into one thing. So we're going to try to lay it out into a single program. So today what that's turned into is uh, right now we've got eight different PowerPoint presentations that have all the core content that's going to get expanded out. It'll end up being an online program, a book, uh, just kind of training uh, package itself. So you mentioned the conferences, that'll probably be one of the first times we kind of do the whole thing maybe, I don't know. We may do a couple, it depends how long it takes to put it together where we can start teaching it. But it's going to be one of those longer term deals that we're screwing with for the next few years.
2: Yeah, and Bruno um before he passed away, he would visit the Glendale Fire Department um at least I think it was once a month, but sometimes it was twice a month when he was in town, and we were kind of his audience uh, for some of this leadership stuff that he was pulling back out the functional boss behaviors and the no-brainer management. And he was and we had a really uh, you know, a good group of people that wanted to be there and he would show up and he would talk to 30 or 40 of the Glendale firefighters and go through some of this. And I got to sat, sit through every one of those. In fact, I was lucky because I got to sit with him with for breakfast before we went there. And uh, I would always invite one or two people to breakfast. They, the list was long; they all wanted to go have breakfast with them. But I'd, I'd pick one or two because I was being selfish myself. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want everybody there. I like I like having that breakfast with them and learning because it was always, it was always you were going to learn something, uh, something about the fire service, and then if you're fortunate, something about yourself, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> which I that that helped me a, along the way. But, uh, so he was working on that program with us. And then when Nick asked me, and Nick and I, you guys all may know it, but Nick and I have been friends for 40 some years. And even when, uh, we started the command training center, um, even before that, Nick and I taught at the community college together, fire command stuff. And you can't t- teach a fire command class without getting into the leadership piece a little bit, right? It's just a natural component to that. So we we spent a lot of time kind of going over that. And then um, uh, there was times like when I got to uh, co-author the the workbook. I really never talked to the Fire Chief. He was busy. I was Nick was his handler, I guess, because Nick or maybe he was my handler. But he go, Hey, would you do this for my dad? And I say, Absolutely.
1: Or maybe you two are my handler. <laughs> we, or, yeah, and
0: it went like a, there, didn't I? There's a lot of handling. There's a lot on. of handling going <laughs> in on. Fact, in HR fact, is going to get involved. In now fact, I'm uncomfortable. John, get your hand off my knee. <laughs>
2: and uh, so anyway, uh it was a natural connection when I when I retired uh, that you said, "Hey, would you come over here and and look through these boxes?" So um one of my favorite uh things to do when I go through the box is there's he has some t- his timeless tactical truths, right? So he has those for the fire ground and we've all seen those, but he also has a a bunch of them for uh, leadership. And I was just looking through one. I'm kind of putting this together and, and they're not insulting, but they're true. Like, so here's one I was just looking at is too many fire professionals aren't, (laughs) right? Yes. And that's what he wanted to do really is he was trying to, he was, he was helping the Glendale Fire Department get better at, um, Better at treating each other in a professional way, whether you're the boss or not, whether you're the informal boss. We had the labor group that was many of them were were participating in it. And then, how, how do you treat the customer? And that's what that's it, it made. And Nick said it the other day we were looking at how the, the key to all this is, or the most difficult part of all this information is really, how do you structure it and what do you leave out and what do you put in? And uh, Nick said the best thing I'd heard in a long time, it's like looking at his dad when he said it, he said, well, Terry, let's just start with the work. Wow. What a concept. Let's start with the work the firefighters do. And that's, that's going to be the jumping off part for our leadership program is if you start with the work and focus on the work um, throughout the entire program, I think that's going to be the key
1: for us. Well, you take a diverse group of people with uh, varied backgrounds and the way they can come together and in, in, in kind of a harmonious occupational sense is by the work. I mean, that's it. There's no other thing that's going to bind you together. So, <clears throat> and I think in the fire service, we're extremely lucky because our work is like the most altruistic work outside of like being a nun mm-hmm. in a leper colony. We're the ones that protect the community and respond. So, I mean, that's... <clears throat> when you look at like happiness factors and the thing that, that gives people uh, ongoing hope and comfort in their life, it's service to others and connecting uh, on a deeper level with people. And that's what our work does. So the, the thing I keep taking away from this is firefighters are the luckiest people occupationally. And see, that work becomes a unifying thing. It's, <clears throat> and it's stronger than a cult. Because if you don't believe in that, in the work we do, and the service we deliver, then you shouldn't be here. And in fact, and as a boss, if we can't get you to understand that and operate that way, then what you should be is deselected out of the organization and find something that you want to do that you're more suited for. Yeah. But I think that becomes kind of the, the, the that's how you parole that perimeter and keep your fire department. I'm not gonna say pure, but that's that becomes the common thing that we all can hang on to and the reason that we're unified the way we are. And it it gives us a lot of... The community loves us for that. So... The only ones that can screw that up is us. And the way we screw it up is we quit valuing the work we do and minimize that. Every time I've seen a fire department go upside down, that's what the leadership did. It ain't about the work. It's about my leadership capabilities. And now I get it, it becomes about them and not us. It, it, it derails the organization. You know,
2: and you just take that principle about the work and then how we deliver that service to the customer. The way we do that is in teams, right? Mm-hmm. And Bruno used to say, uh, at least I heard him say several times is, Hey, Terry, we don't hire, not everybody out there is, is, uh, a students. We have a students, we have B students. Sometimes we have C students. And then every once in a while, somebody will become a D student and they need help with that. And he goes, we need the A students to help the C students. We need the young to help the old, the old to help the young. And, uh, he, he would talk a lot about that, but so. If you just look at the way we deliver the service, the leadership part becomes very important, right? Because the leadership part happens for us. Uh, we are unique, as somebody said. Well, you know, I, I remember going to a fire station and talking to a fire captain and saying, "Hey, you know, I saw what happened at that call. You're going to talk to your firefighter about them? I'm, I'm not talking to the firefighter. I'm the chief officer. It's like that would be that would that, that's not the way." I don't want chief officers managing fire companies
1: yeah your boss isn't it's not his job to do your job yeah so now
2: if he wasn't there i would call the firefighter over and say hey Mm
1: -hmm. don't do that again Mm or
2: or that was great do it a bunch but so i asked this fire captain i said hey are you going to talk to him about what just happened he goes well chief do i talk to him before after he makes my lunch i said make your own freaking lunch dude if you can't figure that out so we have, it's very unique in the fire service and the fact that, you know, we get to be democratic in the fire station as leaders. I hate to walk in fire stations where a fire captain has his own spot at the table or his own chair in front of the TV or he controls the remote or whatever. And then we get to be autocratic on the fire ground where a fire captain needs to be in a hazard situation. Working with a customer, the fire captain needs to be in charge. And that's kind of an interesting role for people. And and you can see when that doesn't work out very well, right? Some people are not so good at most of the you think about a lot of the problems we have is that it's not the fire ground or it's not the customer service. It's not that autocratic part that a lot of our leaders struggle with. It's back at the fire station. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to sleep at eight o'clock tonight. Why? Well, because my firefighter has some people visiting. No, dude, you're still don't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Don't don't go in and shut the door. You know, mm-hmm. you're still the fire captain. So we're yeah. going to talk mm-hmm. a lot about that <laughs> in our training too, and and realistic um, leadership, and how do you, how do you lead somebody when with when you live with them? I think the book uh, Buddy the Boss was a great book, and a lot of people are still reading it, and. I had somebody say, "Well, Ian, it's hard for me to go from buddy to boss." I said, "No, it should be easier. If you're somebody's friend and you get along with them and now you're their boss, that should be better, right? You can actually mm-hmm. use that because leadership is based on relationships. Mm-hmm. And you can you should be able to call somebody on something and say, "Hey, no, you didn't do this, right? You did you need to improve." And that shouldn't feel like um it's, it's going to feel somewhat negative to the person you're talking to, but it shouldn't ruin the relationship. You, you need to be able to do that in a way that you can move forward. And I've been corrected by Nick. You corrected me yesterday. We've, you said turn right, and I turned left. And you said you, you needed to stop doing that. <laughs> I made that up, people. I have no idea. Well,
0: it, but the point is, I, I, you know, and, and Bruno used to say it all the time, that if you've got a dysfunctional firehouse and dysfunctional group of people, they're not going to be able to deliver service. When, when the bell goes off and it's time for them to get out, they're not going to do it in a way that is going to maximize their efforts and be the best outcome for Mrs. Smith. And you can feel that when you walk into certain firehouses with certain leadership going on that they're not cohesive. They they are playing <laughs> games. They're setting each other up for failure, whatever it is. Then you go into the firehouse where they're harmonious in non-emergent times things are going well there and and that just spills over to the fire ground and the service delivery so do you, are, are you thinking i mean kind of what you're saying is that those you agree those two things go together right it's, it's oh, a it's a 24 7 yeah and but how do we get there now blue
2: card has this program you can go out there and you can use simulations real life you don't have to like bruno said you don't have to plant weeds Well, that's absolutely true in the the world of, uh, uh, HR. You don't have to make anything up. I could, I, I, we could tell stories for all day long here, but so we're going to use simulations. We're going to use real world, um, events that have occurred. We're going to talk about some, some common sense things to do. We're going to talk about how you can improve in areas where you're weak And and really, it's not going to be, here's the 10 things that are going to make you a good leader. or Here's the five things that will keep you out of trouble. That's all bullshit. Uh, We're going to talk about situational. And it's going to end up being a lot like... Uh, the, the decision-making model, right? Where you walk through in your brain, you got to walk and you'll do it just as you do, uh, just as fast as you do it on the front end of a fire call, where it t- takes what less than a minute to work all the way through that and develop your AIP. <coughs> IAP. We could do the same thing with uh, leadership situations.
1: What's well, the only way to do it. See, again, the work becomes the, uh, the, the, the unifying force of all of it. So, Whatever you do, and it doesn't matter if it's it's a leadership thing or a logistics thing or an administrative thing, it's got a some it's got a connection somehow back to the work. whatever it is, how does this affect the work we're doing? The reason we're all here today, see, so that becomes <clears throat> like going from buddy to boss. Well, that's the only chance you got to do that. Is how do you go be somebody's friend and then boss them and say no, you did this wrong? Well. <clears throat> The further away you get from the work, the more fucked up that is. It is an approach to deal with people it becomes more idiosyncratic to me. This is my pet peeve. You shouldn't do this. So I'm going to enforce the regulations a certain way. That your hat example from your former fire department. Yeah. So I'm the boss, and I tell you which hat you can wear and where you can wear it. Well. I don't think anybody really gives a shit about that in the whole world about what hat I have on as long as it's a uniform hat. Why is that what you're doing, boss? Well, there's bosses that focus on that because they don't understand the work and how the role that that – the hat doesn't play a role in the work. All it is is a, a, a symbol that you put on your head that I work for this fire department. So if somebody's doing something dysfunctional that adversely affects our ability to do the work, it is your job as a boss and a leader in the organization to eliminate those barriers. That's the only reason you're there. Well, and, I, and it was pretty simple when I became a chief. I loved that as being out of that buddy to boss thing and saying, no, I represent the work and us as an organization and you're getting shit all over our shoes because you won't do this the proper way. And then, yeah, yeah. all the distractions and excuses are just that because they don't represent the work. It's like, no, this is and see, as you process whatever that is through the organization, whether it's through a training solution to fix it or a personal disciplinary is that is what the organization can use. Then is the tool to correct that that becomes the standard way forward. So that removes the autocratic way that we bellow and I am in charge and this is me managing. Uh, uh-uh. uh, that adversely affects m- our ability to do the work is your out of control ego. So those become the things and see <clears throat> the beauty of it is like a clear thinking person can understand and decision-make. You mentioned the decision-making model for like hazard zones. Well, there's this, we use the same thing to make decisions all day long. So that's part of it. Well, the goal is how does this, the strategic decision-making model, the goal of that is the completion of the tactical priorities. This is the completion of proper service delivery. Yeah. So it's just it expands the mission to include all work and the way we interact with the customer and see them and view them and and connect with them.
2: But you, but I got to jump in because it was it's, it was a few sentences ago. But you started off by saying uh, talking about leaders that don't they don't they don't focus on the work and and I don't know if we covered it at the last. Um, podcasts we talked about it or not but there's two kinds of fire chiefs and i've seen them out there mm-hmm. and the first kind is is the kind we had for years Bernasini, who um Focuses on the work, supports the people, knows that his boss, in fact, our org chart was turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Or at one time, it was Mrs. Smith in the middle, and we all revolved around her. Mm-hmm. And we knew that um, as long as we took care of Mrs. Smith, Bruno was going to support us in the process, right? He, Because his focus was firefighters and the delivery of service to Mrs. Smith and do that in a safe way that was simple. Everybody can understand it. And then you see the other group of firefighters, and they will tell you this. And when they tell you this, I honestly can't believe they freaking say it out loud. And they'll go into captain's meetings, and they'll say, my boss is a city manager. I report to the city manager. And they're telling firefighters, my job, you don't understand how hard my job is. I report to the city manager saying, no, dude, you, you, and Bruno said it, the most effective fire chiefs are validated by their firefighters, not by their city managers. I really wanted to make my city manager have – I wanted – I he signed paychecks, I guess, and I wanted to think that he thought I was doing a good job. That was kind of important. But I never felt like my job was to impress the city manager and come in under budget. Now, I will come within budget because that's part of the, you know, be safe, be nice, be accountable. So being accountable means – being a, a, a good steward of what you provided as a fire chief. But I always felt like, no, my boss is the firefighters. And um, those are the guys that are going to get me hired or fired. And if I have a bad day, it's because of something that happened to them, not an interaction with the city manager and I. Um I've told people, because I was taught this way, is never yell down. Why would you yell at anybody who works for you? You're in a power, you're in a position of power, and it's formal. Why would you feel like you have to yell at your your employees? So when I actually end up raising my voice, it's usually because the city manager and I are having a a (laughs) spirited discussion about something that has to do with firefighters. And I was talking to uh, a fire fighter the other day who said yeah i've been a firefighter for you know 20 some years and they got a new fire chief and he said for the first time in my history he said i've been an adult employee for 40 some years you know i've run business and done all this and for the first time ever i had a guy yell at me and he was the fire chief it's like the fire chief yelled at you yeah he yelled at me it's like it's you know the way you you can't take that yell back, right? Mm-hmm. You own that yell from <coughs> this point on. You can't unring a bell. <laughs> you can't unring a bell. So, you know, we we're gonna talk about uh, no-brainer manners. That's gonna be one that Bruno left us, and it's oh geez, it's it's 16 pages of, of manners and etiquette, and that's the type of terminology that he uses. Um, And we're going to talk about that. And and I think the primary piece of that
1: um, is going to be self-control. The person I report to as the fire chief of the fire department is whoever, the mayor, the city manager, the fire board. That's who I report to. They hired me to run the fire department. They didn't hire me to be part of their team to decimate the fire department which is what the political appointees typically will do is it is no 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 i'm no longer part of this i'm an executive manager in in the political realm and i'm your political master now i work for a political master and i politically master the fire department i'm not an operational person anymore because i've transcended that that's what they believe and It's wrong,
2: and what'll happen is is when what at least I found and it happened to Bruno and it happened I think it happened to me most recently is because I support firefighters and I have a robust second chance management, I didn't say third chance, I didn't say fourth. I said I have a second chance management attitude because that's it saved me once in my career mm-hmm. and I loved it at the time. And I still do is that uh, the people on the other side, the politicians, the city managers, say, well, he doesn't hold those people accountable. Yeah, I do. I hold them accountable on the front end, and I hold them accountable on the back end, and you're not really even using the word accountability appropriately. You don't want me to hold them accountable. You want me to just (laughs) rape and pillage and plunder firefighters
1: because you have something against firefighters. There was an issue that happened a hundred years ago, and— somebody was driving drunk and had an accident or some damn thing. So it became an issue in this, within the confines of the city manager and the people that he managed. So he's having a meeting, and he's going to put an end to this. And so if you get a DUI, you're fired. And so the fire chief's like, well, I manage the fire department, and you know we get about 10 of those a month. So <clears throat> we're going to not be here after a bit. So they're processing this, and it's like, we're the bosses, and we will no longer accept this, and we're the strong stewards of this system. And so as the conversation went on, the fire chief said, well, no, that you can't do that. You, what you've done is you've drawn a, a trap for yourself. And they said, well, no, we're, we, we just won't put up with this anymore. And there was a very talented person who worked just below the city manager in another office who was very well regarded, highly regarded outside the city, is the best person in this position in local government. He was also a drunk. And the fire chief said, when Jimmy gets caught again, and he gets caught about every four or five months, he's fired. What are you going to do with him? Well, you can't replace Jimmy. So the city manager, well, that's different. Oh, it is. What happens when you get caught, Mr. City Manager, and you get the DUI? Because now you've put a target on all of them. You, you will get one. I, I guarantee once you get your first police officer, you're next. What do you do then? <clears throat> they, Well, no, that's different. No, it isn't. The rules are for all of us. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. So... No, You figure out what kind of trap you want to make and, and put yourself in, and that's what you're going to do. And and so
2: <clears throat> drunk driving is bad. Yeah, you can't you can, drive you drunk. You can kill people. You, yeah. can, you can kill yourself. You mm-hmm. can kill your family. You can kill other people's family. It's a terrible thing to do. When somebody drives drunk, they ought to go through a process of discipline <clears throat> and a process of learning and, and try to stop that behavior mm-hmm. and if they have a second one that's a second chance management it's like well apparently that didn't work so now uh, i've often i've had not off i shouldn't say often but it felt like often because i don't enjoy doing it but there's been times when somebody has done something that i have to tell them i don't know what you're going to do tomorrow but you're not going to do it in a firefighter uniform because you're representing us, mm-hmm. and then the third time they crash their car and take out somebody, what it says is former firefighter. That's the best thing they could say on the top of that headline, is so. Eventually, you got to hold people accountable, but you got to take them through a process. This deal is we're going to give you one time, and they were going to, well, is is drinking. Uh, is is that an addiction? Do we do we help other addicts through a process of correction before we fire them? We do, right? Mm-hmm. So there you go.
0: Well, and you guys came up in a fire service like I did, where uh, drinking was part of the um, um, treatment for our jobs you know where where that that was the way you decompressed and that that was the way that and now we know better and we and we don't do it that way and the reason i bring this up a couple of years ago there was a fire department that had like an epidemic of duis and the fire chief came out and did the zero tolerance next dui you know everyone's fired well then the union came back and said okay chief then why don't you start submitting to regular testing to prove that you're not drinking dust well i'm not the one with the pro- it goes back and forth and to me, when I'm reading this, and I was just an observer of it, that's a fire department with a problem. They had some some issues with their culture and their behaviors. If every week someone's getting a DUI, it's a it's an unjust culture. We talk about just culture, and and this is this is the part of the culture of the department and the way that they're dealing with things is by guys are out drinking at the union hall and then getting DUIs versus individual behavioral problems. You know, people get broken, people need help in that way. So th- those are two different paths, you, you understand? Mm-hmm. And, and I think for us as fire chiefs, if we can deal with the cultural problem, make help available to people, second chance management, understand, you know, what's the root cause of this? Why are, why are people getting hammered? Is it something that we're doing within the organization? And I've seen those organizations. You guys have seen those organizations where that's an organizational problem. And to then come out and say it's a uh, zero tolerance and we're going to fire everybody just doesn't make any sense to me. And it without taking some of the onus on the person who's steering the ship a little, you know you have got to wonder why this is going on but yeah, does that make
2: sense <clears throat> yeah it's that old deal it's if you think you can the, the problem simple you don't really understand the problem mm-hmm. right there's always something's going on, Mm -hmm. right? Something's going on. If you're having union meetings and, and uh, every time you have a union meeting, you get three, three DUIs out of that group. You probably ought to get them Ubers. You probably get, (laughs) we're going to send some people over there to drive you guys home. If you're going to, we're going to support you, but we're, we, you're going to drink, you're going to have fun. You're going to enjoy each other, but you can't drive home after.
1: When I first joined the fire service, uh, it went to union meetings the union used alcohol strategically so if they were having a vote that they wanted to pass immediately you would come in and there would be a drinking hour ahead of the vote and then they would plow through the vote so i mean alcohol became kind of like a additive you would use to get a desired result off duty so <clears throat> But like you said, if somebody keeps getting DUIs, they will deselect themselves out of the system. See, it's second chance management. And you used to hear people all the time saying, oh, there's no accountability, no rules. You could get away with murder here and you'd still have your job. And you figured out? No, that's not true because people that commit, because and there were there were firefighters that committed crimes they shouldn't have committed that were felonies, and they went to prison. And you thought, see, no, they got caught up and they did this, and it was a bad lifestyle choice, and now they're going to prison. They're not here anymore. Yeah, you had to go to prison. Well, that's a pretty good indicator. You don't belong here anymore. It's okay. <clears throat> so. The deal was is you didn't get away with everything, and we maintained a set of rules that were well-known. And it said in the rules, cause for termination, up to and including termination, and there were basically two things, intoxication and sex on duty. Those were the two things that you could be fired for, and they set it up front. Now, if you got fired when you... When I was a boss and would supervise people, especially as a BC, where they're all in remote stations, and you tell them, you guys can get away with anything you can get away with. The problem happens is when you don't get away with it anymore. And then if you're doing a certain set of things, nobody can save you. So it's almost like a wall fell on you and killed you. So if you do a certain set of things that we say, you in the rules, we're not going to do this, you... you, you <clears throat> Don't do it, is my advice. Because I cannot save you as your boss. It's fatal if you're caught. <clears throat> and during my career, there was that happened routinely. You know, not routinely, but every quarter, because there was like 30 fire departments that worked together, It was always something going on. So there was always an example of this that you were dealing with. And different fire departments within our own response area had a different set of rules and approaches to things. And then... We were free to move around as an organization. So there were some more draconian fire departments that weren't as much fun to work for because their rules really didn't support the work as much as it supported uh, anal retentive, uh, A-shift, C-shift, hybrid people with serious head injuries. So what would happen is they would start taking the test for other fire departments, and at one point our department hired half of a good size uh, department next to us, and, and to the point where the fire chief started coming over and saying, "You can't do this anymore." Yeah. And our fire chief said, "They work where they want, and this ain't my problem." Is you should probably look inward. Mm-hmm. Is that's where this is coming from, pal. And <laughs> until they did, they, the the bleeding didn't stop. Well, people, uh, you know, everybody
2: knows whether they got a boss that cares for them Mm -hmm. and and they know whether they got a fire chief that really gives a shit about the work that is being the back to the work, right? The work being done and support the workers. That was a conversation I had with my city manager uh, is that I don't. I don't know if he, I don't think he didn't like firefighters. He didn't like the cost of the fire service. The fire services were the only business out there that you have to have 24 7 staffing. And mm-hmm. when a firefighter's off, you got to hire another firefighter. That's it. It's just that simple. You don't do that with the police department, the water department, the garbage department. I know I'm calling them the wrong departments. It's, it's a solid waste. <laughs> all those, all of those different places. But, um, Finance, legal, HR, fire departments, the only ones. So he had a bug up his ass because of the overtime costs. I said, hire more firefighters. Overtime will go down. That's a simple answer for that. Look what's happening in one of our cities in the, our large city over there where there, what, seven, 800 firefighters down now in Houston? Mm-hmm. I read the article. I don't have to be shy about it. I read the article yesterday about it. You showed it to me. Somebody showed it. Oh, Josh did. Anyway, it's like man, they're down from when I was there. As fortunate we had over forty one hundred firefighters. They're down seven eight hundred firefighters now. That's gonna. You still have to staff those apparatus if you're going to keep them in service, and that's going to be a high cost.
1: Well, I think one of the last podcasts we did we talked about here is is what I'm retired. We had I don't know about a six minute five to six minute response time. It's nine minutes now because they had the the staffing's the same. Today, as it was when I left 12 years ago, but the incident activity is up like 40 percent, 50 percent. Well, yeah. So you got staffing of your regular,
2: your your your
1: base level service,
2: and then what you're talking now is because of the call volume going up, and you don't put infill units, you don't plan ahead, uh, then you get behind on your call volume. That company can't go to that call because you're on another one. Now another company comes in. Call, call volume increases. So uh, the number of calls, and that's a conversation I had with my city managers too, is he couldn't understand why did, Why does the increase in call volume have an impact on, on response time? Because that company's busy over here, so this company has to come from way over here to cover that. It
1: takes longer to get there.
2: So, uh, so call volume does have Here's
1: an a, Here's on. an easy example, boss is, like, if you go to McDonald's at 11 to order a hamburger, you'll probably be the first one in line. Whereas if you go at 12, there may be 15 people in front of you, and it'll take longer to get to the front of the line. Uh So maybe you ought to quit looking at your wall of love of where you went to school and everything else and just study basic mathematics.
2: you you can't argue with hamburger.
1: You can. No. it's the best hamburger example. Logic. Hamburger logic is going to bring you back
2: every time. So we're talking Wimpy. about all that. So what happens is, and and once again, that will have an impact on uh, on people how they think their boss feels about them at work, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're not supporting your people with call volume and and infill companies and. Uh, hiring more people and keeping your training up and that, that all that impacts people.
1: Well, it almost it, it generates an adversarial relationship between the workforce and the bosses. <clears throat>
2: yeah, there shouldn't be a line between management and you know cuz we were very lucky. We There was a line in there that was a dotted line with some of our middle managers when you and I were hired in the mm-hmm. late 70s and early 80s, where those people were, they were they were cock blockers right mm-hmm. in the system, but we had a boss above us that we knew cared about us. Mm-hmm. We worked with people we knew had similar values, and every once in a while, you come across a boss that was just a knucklehead, whether it was a battalion chief or a company officer, and it was so obvious that guy was a dumbass, right?
1: Well, And what they did is they said, okay, if I can screw you, I'm in a better position then. So I will keep you subordinate to me as long as I can. A lot of that was, yeah.
2: Yeah, and they would worry about things that are easy to manage. You know, it's. It, I think people are mean. I don't know if we said this the other day, but it's easy to be mean. It It is easy to be an arsehole, and I might have said this, but... It takes a lot of work to be nice and to actually treat people with respect. It takes time to listen to somebody. Mm -hmm. And people are impatient. You know, some of those same people that are uh, um, like... Their house is full of mirrors, right? Every wall they walk by, they're looking for a reflection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know that guy, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, I'm just going yeah. from reflection to
1: reflection. Oh, I'm so much me. more handsome than this one. Why
2: don't you, you know, if you focus and actually listen to people and be nice to them. And Bruno said that, be nice over and over again. And I even had trouble with that. One of the fire departments I worked in is like, what's this, all this be nice stuff? What do you want to be mean? Well, why would you want to be mean? Well, it's, I guess could probably because it's easier. You could be mean and turn around and walk away, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, no-brainer manners. One, the, the primary one that we heard throughout our entire career is be nice. And then Bruno even broke that down in the documents that I'm looking through. If anybody has any questions about what it means to be nice, I mean, he, he even broke it down. He said it's respect, kindness, consideration, and patience. Who wouldn't, want, who wouldn't want that, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and the other part of that is he says, if you, the work is we go out and we deal with customers. We deal with people every day. And he says, inside the system, when you treat the workforce mean, that's what you get in return for them, the way they're going to treat the, the, the customer. This is self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: And that was my point earlier about if, if you're dysfunctional within the firehouse, your, your service delivery is going to yeah. be well below par, and it's, it's always going to come out no matter what it is. And it's the two different kind of fire chiefs you guys were talking about. You know, I've never, I've never gone to a police website where the police chief goes, right under the mission statement, you'll notice that our officers dress in a different kind of uniform. where Our uniforms are more professional. I've seen that on fire department websites. That There was one in the Valley that said that. Yeah. The public doesn't give a crap about Say that. Say that again. There was a fire department that underneath their mission statement was a statement from the fire chief that said, you'll notice that our firefighters dress a little more professional than the other fire departments in the Valley. Quote, unquote. I mean, I... Yeah, I think it, I'm saying that verbatim.
1: It produced the screaming fire chief yes. that we talked about earlier. Yes. That, yeah. He yeah. looked great while well, he would. He's incompetent. Yeah.
0: But but there's no service delivery. No. What I want to uh. do is keep the phone ringing at my fire chief's or my uh, city manager's office. Because we were incompetent when we got to the scene, we didn't know how to flow water, we didn't set up a water supply, mm-hmm. we were careless with people's possessions, et cetera, et cetera. That's where the rubber meets the road, and that's what makes a good fire department, not the kind of outfit we wear every day. Now, I, you know, I believe in you know being somewhat professional, but you know that's, yeah. that's in the eye of the beholder, and most of that shits for us anyway, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bugles and medals, and no one cares. No, no. At, at three o'clock in the morning, are you going to get my fire out? Are you going to be able to do CPR? Are it's you... pageantry, yeah, is
1: all yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh huh. Anyway, it was <clears throat> t-shirts and brush pants, man. Tremendous uniform.
0: The other thing before we we wrap up today is is this trend I see you know police chiefs more and more becoming the public safety I mean that we're back on that trend again mm-hmm. you very seldom see, and I've i seen it once in a while where the police chief becomes the director or the fire chief rather becomes the uh, director of public safety but most of the time it's the cops and it's because the cops even though they're cops they're not flying up their own ass with a lot of this stuff they're talking about service delivery and they're able to quantify it with either crime statistics or how, however they do it. Now, I'm not here to question the, what, what the cops are doing, but they, they tend to cultivate a much better relationship with the city manager because it, it, for them, they have some ways they quantify service that we don't.
1: Well, and I think that's the enforcement piece. And I think that the local politicians fall in love with that, is it's almost like they have their own private army is the way they view the police in law enforcement. And I don't know a lot of people that were fire chiefs in that system, but the few I do know have all said that in some ways working for the police chief was an improvement over the city manager because the city manager really didn't want to screw with the fire department. If you look at it during the course of my career, represented labor unions. And then that was another group. Most people that run cities hook to the business community there and they do a lot of stuff for them. So And they tend to have a different view of unionized activities. So there, there, there's some of that politics in all of it. And then when you throw <clears> – <throat> my favorite position in the fire service is the union president position because they're the highest-ranking field member, and they're an elected official too. So they merge a bunch of stuff into one position that is pretty much uh, – bulletproof in many ways is in many fire departments. The one constant for decades is the union president. They'll go through five, six, seven, eight fire chiefs. So it's a whole different dynamic. So, you have all these different characters that fire chiefs will end up working for, or reporting around, or well, all
2: the rest. Let me jump in on that conversation about police chiefs. I think police chiefs become deputy city managers and and um, public service directors. It's kind of the reason why some old men die before their wives because mm-hmm. they can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, honestly I don't I don't think honestly, I don't think there's a lot of fire officials that want to be uh, deputy city managers, but for police officials want to be deputy city managers, they come up in a really structured system and it makes sense to them. I worked for, for a police chief, um, the last year and a half or two years. And I loved it. I thought it it made sense for me because the city manager and I were having trouble communicating. I was, he was oranges and I was apples and we were bumping up against, but when I started reporting to the police chief, I was able to talk about, and I'm going to say it, the work mm-hmm. and the police chief got he got that and he's like oh okay okay so i i didn't mind him being my boss you know the only time that we would have any trouble is every once in a while he thought he was the fire chief well when you're the fire chief and anybody acts like they're the fire chief and you don't get upset about that and you're the fire chief you ought to you know you ought to back you ought to back up and say well hold it this is my role That's your role. So the police chief was really good with focusing on the work. He got the structure and and everybody has a position and function. And he knew that his position was here and I was here. And I think it worked out uh, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But he never acted like he was a fire expert. He acted like, Hey, I want to help you with the budget. I'm going to help you interact with the city manager. I get a better sense of politician because believe me. So, police chiefs talk to elected officials three times a night they are it's a whole different from a, what i learned from fire chief to police chief is they're talking to the city manager on a daily basis twice a day and they're talking to politicians three times a night fire chiefs if you're doing your job okay and people aren't getting hurt you're not getting a lot of that. They they kind of leave fire chiefs alone. So you don't have a lot of interaction with them. You know, that Abraham Lincoln, I don't think this guy, I like him very much. I need to spend more time with him so I can learn a little bit about him. You don't really get that close to elected officials, and you don't want to get that close as a, as a fire chief. Well, that's the union president's job. That's a union president. And it's funny. So when I was in Houston, I had four union presidents in five years when Jesus. I was there. So that and, is
1: nuts. And they were—it <laughs> yeah, was and, the opposite problem.
2: Yeah, the first one, the I was there, a really great guy, and and just um, I don't know what ha- really what happened to him, but I really enjoyed him as the union president. And then there was a couple guys in there that they weren't too worried about what I was doing as the as the fire chief because. Um, they were, they were new in their position. And they were trying to survive that position and they didn't. And by the time I left there, there was a, there was a, a, the last union president who I think is still there and he was really capable. And he didn't, I didn't worry too much about him. He'd mm-hmm. just say, in fact, what we, we said was the same thing I said to the chaplain is, um, in the Glendale Fire Department, when I first met him, I was like, Hey, this is great. You and I are going to take care of the people. He's like, wow. Well, that's what you say to a union president. Hey, this mm-hmm. is great. Our job is to take care of firefighters and make sure they get everything they need to do their work. Mm-hmm. And then you make sure they get more money if you're able to do that. Mm-hmm. And But I'm going to make sure that they get better equipment if I'm able to do that and they get support. And we got along fine. So I, I think I was pretty fortunate. But they, for the five years I was in Houston, they were going through union presidents. They were kind of caught up in their own wrestling match. Well,
1: I mean, there's some issues with the pension and there was a lot of, there was more union issues going on really than fire department issues. Yeah. And,
2: and I worked for a mayor in that system and she was, she was kind of, um, well, a mayor has a, that they call a strong mayor because they are strong. They mm-hmm. got a lot of power. They set the agenda on the, on the council meetings and everything kind of goes through them. I, uh, so yeah, I was able to just kind of focus on, on kind of the issues we were having there.
0: So to, to bring the conversation full circle and, and to wrap up this one, let's let's spend a little time talking about service then. Simply put, how how can we get focused on service? Because I think whether you're union president, uh, fire chief that maybe, you know, might have some issues politically, and then the middle managers, how do we get everybody aligned so we are focused on the outcome rather than the pageantry?
2: Well, the first thing everybody needs to the the leadership needs to realize that that's the that's important. If you got a fire chief or uh, a group of people at the top of an organization who don't understand that we're a service delivery system and that's why we're there, that's the total purpose of us being there is to help that customer. You're not going to make a lot of progress in that conversation. But I felt like every and. Every time I would speak to firefighters and every document I wrote to them. In fact, I don't know if they got tired of hearing it or not, but, um, and I'm not saying I was perfect. This is just what worked for me because I'm kind of a simple guy is I was the first thing I would say. And the last thing I would say was thanking them for delivering the service to Mrs. Smith and doing it in a safe way and taking care of each other. And if you thank them for that, they'll continue to do that because people are people. And then when they don't do that and you get somebody not taking care of the customers and they punch somebody on camera or whatever it is, you need to get on that right away because you got to walk the walk, right? You can't just say the customer is important and you guys are important. You got to hold people accountable. And if you don't, the other people in the system are watching how you treat that guy. That's a funny thing about discipline is that firefighters, they tell on themselves they'll go out and everybody knows they're in trouble because they talk, they tell everybody. And then everybody in the organization waits to see how the leader is going to, what they're going to do about that situation. And if you're consistent, you treat them nice, but then you take them, if it's if it's fits within the decision, if it fits, Within a um, a disciplinary process, you pull out the process, you follow the process, it becomes very um, unemotional. It's like, I don't have emotional tied to this disciplinary process, but you did this and then you did it again. So now I have to do this because that's the process. Don't get emotionally tied to those because it'll tear you up. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and then, <clears throat> I think that the standard algorithm is the induction and hiring process is bringing the right people into the organization, and then training them, <clears throat> and then once they're trained, maintaining that level of capability, it, it, with just periodic reviews and whatever Mo- it is. Monitor and performance. Yeah, you monitor performance. I mean, that's what the, the that's what the thing's based around, and. I mean, that's just kind of it's rinse, lather, repeat, rinse, lather. It's the same thing over and over again. So, it, again, it's the work is the centerpiece, and you got to be able to deliver the work. Anything that disrupts delivering the work, you got to fix. You know, the example we use is the late person. Well, Jimmy's late all the time. Well, okay, I'm Jimmy's first-line supervisor. Jimmy gets here late. Jimmy, why are you late? Well, I'm late because last night I went out and I had a good time and I'd slept in a little bit. And what's the big deal? Well, you know, you, no, you don't get to do that, Jimmy. You got to be here. So don't do that again. That's different than if Charlie comes in and says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. I'm really not. But, you know, my wife's going through chemotherapy. We had a rough morning. Well, that's a whole different. You, there's a different solution to those two problems. One of them, we have to make some kind of accommodation because somebody's got something serious going on in their life that they may need some help getting through. Jimmy needs to improve his behavior on his days off so he gets to work on time. So there's two different tracks there. It's going to take two different approaches to fix that. So Jimmy being late all the time because Jimmy's young and dumb and just doesn't know any better yet, they're going to need adult supervision, whereas Charlie has an issue he's going through. So you may have to sit down with Charlie's relief and say, hey, listen, what can we do? To And and Charlie, then if your wife is having trouble, then, you know, just call and let us know what we need and blah, blah, blah. But you have some solutions ahead of time because you know it's going to be he's got something he's going to need some help getting through where the other one just needs help growing up
0: i think the other you know just i I don't know if you have any um examples of this is celebrating the good stuff and, and and reinforcing the good behavior and i know in my organization we were going through a period of time i think in a year we 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 just we outperformed every other year on the damage to fire apparatus. We were backing into things, running into things, bouncing, ba- yeah. And and we came Jay out. Leno's
1: garage. Yes, I mean we, we, gla-
0: the Hemi under glass, and and we 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 got together as the Chiefs, and what are we going to do about it? We've got to fix it because it's mm-hmm. it's not only costing us money, apparatus out of service, the PR, you know, all the reasons why. And we decided that you know, unless it was somebody who. Um, did it on purpose, where it's not going to be a punitive thing, but we were going to built in things to the system to cut down on accidents. So we're going to investigate them. We're going to, um, you know, engineering controls, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, by the end of it, the next year, I think we had uh like, A couple fender benders, a couple scratches, that was it. So then we celebrated that. We let everybody know, hey, you guys did a great job this year. Let's keep this up. We didn't have to go to the the League of Cities and have major payouts or Mm -hmm. anything else. And, you know, it's part of being nice is not running into Mrs. Smith's car you know whether it's in a parking lot or whatever um it so and then that's that's just a an example of celebrating victories you can do it with response times you can do it with outcomes uh you do it every year with uh, you know life-saving awards all that kind of stuff because that's what the mission is
2: if you want to see uh positive behavior recognize it when it's happening Right when somebody does something positive, recognize it right there, and you and supervise. You want to empower your supervisors to do that, uh, right there and right there. And uh, you you'd be surprised. We're adults, but we all like to get a pat on the back and say, "Man, that was good job, man. Do that again." And then if. You get that, and you can you can celebrate that too along the way. You could take some major ones, you know. It's kind of like uh, when you're watching the football game highlights. You can grab the highlights throughout the year, and, and maybe make those quarterly um, quarterly events. Um, Bruno had a green sheet, and the green sheet was pretty cool. So any and I I, I kind of followed it over in in Houston or not Houston in Glendale. Anybody has the authority. To, uh, to write a, a yellow sheet on somebody for their positive
1: performance. A and green could, sheet. A,
2: a green sheet, we use yellow because, you know, it's Glendale. And it's nobody could.
1: Was, see, in Phoenix, button. Phoenix had a yellow sheet. That, and when you did something that was, bad, bad that was unsatisfactory That's behavior. yellow sheet. And so you would, and we, when we got hired, you had yellow sheets. That was what it was. It was punitive. And so every time when you did something punitive (laughs) and that was the deal, Oh, I was going to drop yellow on you. That's yellow. You did. You wet yellow. Well, like Terry said, the fire chief said, well, we can beat you up with yellow. I'm going to make you whole with green. So you can write a green sheet on somebody. Well, as a captain, I could give performance leave. So, if somebody did something I thought was nice, I would write them a green sheet and recommend 12 hours of performance leave. I'm going to give you half a shift off because you did so well. And then you would, you know, your boss would approve it and they'd come and give you a little pin and have a little cake yeah. party for Jimmy, who did a great thing. So that yeah. was kind of the thing. I love that. No, yeah.
2: you got to celebrate the, the, the victories along the way. Man and you, and then if you have a big at the end of the year, you know we always have that deal—the best customer call or the, or who provided the best customer. Service. Oh, the the,
1: the the awards banquet. Year yeah, year, so year,
2: year. we didn't have those very much. Uh, we had away. them every year. No, I mean I'm talking as, as a fire chief. I didn't have them too much in uh, in Glendale. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, just because of the. Um, I think it was COVID shut them down. We did a oh, couple, right. and then it kind of yeah, went away. So. For we couldn't yeah. get we couldn't get groups
1: together, but we kept you doing know the best uh, the best award banquets make the national news because they did something just scoundrelous at the, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, they had an orgy at the at the buffet table. And you thought, wow, man, there's some green sheet activity. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Now, that would be a real reward.
1: Well, but, you know, it's, it's an off-duty event, yeah. so if you're not... I mean, so so it falls into a whole other wing of the... butt. Yeah. The fire chief used to have a two-beer limit, he called it. And mm-hmm. he says, when they crack the second beer, I leave. Yes. Yeah. I, I follow that approach.
0: That's a good People idea. thought I
1: didn't
2: like him. No, I love going to them yeah. on the front end, but as soon as that... It's like, I'm out of here. And now, there is a good supervision when you do leave those kind of events. When it's off-duty, it's okay. You're not in... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. shouldn't say that because you're kind of still responsible. But you don't have to be there to witness it.
1: No. it's What you do on your day's off is your business, unless you make up my business, and then you don't want to do that. It's stupid it because it, you're, you're involved in the legal process. If as a it is the business.
2: elevation in the paper where it says you are a firefighter when you did this on
1: your day off, then it becomes,
2: oh, crap.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, that's true for anybody. You committed a crime, you're going to be in the paper, and you may go to jail. Yeah, but
2: mm-hmm. they're not going to say that, well, they would, you know, the police— Police officers, firefighters, teachers, and elected officials. You're, yeah. you're going to mm-hmm. get your job. Title. Professional
1: athlete, any yeah. yeah, celebrity. Yeah, my dad
2: was my dad was a construction worker. I don't think it would ever say no, plasterer no. yeah. from the East Valley.
0: Bill the plumber isn't getting the <laughs> yeah. front page for yeah, having right. a DUI. Yeah,
2: exactly. Higher expectations.
0: So we're going to be in Cincinnati in October. This is just scratching the surface of what you're going to hear Nick and Terry talk about and continuing the work. That uh, Bruno started and uh, we're getting it all together to uh, pass it on to everybody. So and you too can benefit from these leadership lessons.
2: And I'll just tell you, so now we're talking and we're having a good time here, but we will. We'll, there's some real tangible things we're going to provide them with. And you asked, you know, what can you do? We have a lot of that, what you can do, and, and you, it'll be at the company officer level, the chief officer level, and then fire chiefs also. But we do have a lot of information we're going to provide.
0: Looking forward to it, guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Until next fun. time.
2: Good fun, John Vance. Don't drive drunk. Woohoo!